0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to a brand new episode of the Spiraling Podcast. I am your host, Jackson Watts. I got my friend, my buddy, my pal, Jason Holland here with me. Jason, how are you, bud? I'm good. How are you? You know, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. good. I'm, I'm feeling great, right? We're getting close to Christmas. We're close to the holidays. Uh, but we have a very, very special guest, one of our most popular guests. Highly requested multiple times. We have Mr. Harold Boggs with us. You guys know the introduction by now.
1: Harold, how you doing, man? I love the hat. I'm doing great. I need a sports car to go along with a hat. <laughs> <laughs> I think
0: I think so. I think so. Well, you're looking good, man. Looking good. Uh, super glad to have you back on the show. Um, I know that uh, Jason's told me little bits and pieces kind of uh, what's been going on lately. But, uh, you know, how are you? How you doing?
1: Well, I'm doing uh, really well considering I'm undergoing chemotherapy right now. For uh, what the doctors call B cell lymphoma, and uh, the end of August, I was uh, I had a lump in my left armpit that was uh, painful, and uh, uh, after a few weeks of uh, complaining about that, my wife finally said, "You get over to the doctors right now and have them have them look at that." So I went to the neighborhood urgent care clinic. Mm -hmm. great people over there. And uh, the doctor looked at the lump and said, Oh, that, that needs to be biopsied. So he, uh, he called his friend who does biopsies and, uh, and they put together a plan to, uh, to get me in there. Well, the second doctor, Dr. Lambert looked at the, uh, looked at the lump and said, Oh, that needs to be removed and biopsied. So that got my attention. And that was the day before hurricane Laura. So the day after hurricane Laura, he changed his schedule, got me into surgery at seven in the morning, removed the lump, send it to the lab and, uh, the lab results got back in a week and said, B cell lymphoma, fast growing cancer. Okay. And so, uh, my doctor, my, my uh, uh, PCP, primary care physician, uh, who by the way uh, prayed, prays with us, she prays with us. Uh, she uh, uh, ordered a, a PET scan and uh, she, a man, she managed to get me in to see her friend and the head of oncology at Memorial Herman, Dr. Adon Rios. And so he looked at the scan and said, well, this is, uh, there, there were spots, they showed me the scan, there were spots of cancer all over from from here, in, the, in my spine and uh, all over here and down, and even in my femurs. And the doctor said, well, because it's, because it's above the waist and below the waist, this is called stage four lymphoma. And uh, so they got me into chemotherapy right away, the middle of September. And uh, so far, I've had four chemotherapy treatments. Um, I'm 73, and when you're that age, they, uh, they want to take really special care of your heart because chemotherapy can give you a heart attack. We saved the, the patient and, uh, and killed the cancer, but unfortunately, he died of a heart attack. Right. So, uh, uh, they, uh, so they put me in the hospital for the chemo. And, uh, so I had my, I've had my fourth chemotherapy and, uh, and they did another pet scan and all the spots are gone. The doctor looked at it and said, this is called full remission. Wow. So they're going to do two, two more chemotherapy rounds. To put the nail in the coffin And uh, I'll be cured So this has been a tremendous time uh, For me, my family We do a lot of prayer Uh, Jesus said You have not because you ask not So we've been asking, 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 asking And uh, so it's really an answered prayer And you know Jesus never promised us an easy life. I don't know where these TV preachers get off saying, you know, you're gonna have lots of money and the car and the house and full health if you just believe, because Jesus didn't say that. He said there will be tribulation, but what he promised is that he would be with us every step of the way, and that's been my experience. This has been one of the richest spiritual times of my entire life. And uh, so I'm feeling good. Uh, The doctor said, do not lose any more weight. I had gotten down to 167 and I'm 6'1". So uh, uh, my weight's back up. I've been, basically I have four assignments. Uh, Eat like a horse, eat constantly, drink water constantly, exercise constantly, and get extra rest so uh that's been my plan my weight's back up to uh one ninety at this point excellent and um uh, feeling good so uh the doctor's happy and uh I'm really pleased with the outcome so far
0: i gotta say we're pleased we're pleased to man, uh, especially to hear full remission i mean those are two words where uh any I, Jason, you, I'm sure you can speak on this too. Any cancer patient is always looking forward to to hearing those two words. So, uh, wow, what a roller coaster of emotions, to say the least, over the past yeah. over the past several months. And it's wow, it's been crazy. But um, you're speaking on your faith, and I and I think that's important, right? Because you know this is overall, you know, a Spiraling Podcast is is a ministry, right? And so, Jason, I'm hoping maybe I know that faith. Maybe you can uh, explain a little bit more on, on this kind of expand on it. I know that faith was really important for you in your journey to recovery as well.
2: Yeah. So um, my, my situation was a little bit different than um, uh, Harold's right. um, in the sense of um, I went into the hospital, not knowing what was going on with me. Um, all I knew was I couldn't have a bowel movement and I was in such pain that um, I was blacking out um, on the way to the hospital, in the emergency room, um, getting ready for the procedures. Um, I don't remember a whole lot of it, um, but the one thing I do remember is I, I couldn't get out of bed, but I remember I prayed, and I just asked God to save my life, to save my life. I just prayed that he would give me the chance to bounce back and be there for my family and, and turn my life around. I was new in recovery uh, when I was diagnosed with colon cancer. Um, I think Harold can attest to this. I was only sober three months. <laughs> and the one thing that my wife and I think everybody around me was scared of was the stress that it caused me that with the with the cancer that I was going to relapse, and I I did the exact opposite of that. I didn't relapse, but my sobriety and my faith only got stronger. <clears throat> and during my cancer journey, I had Harold with me. We have we were doing what two or three sessions a week. Um, just trying to yeah. get my mind right, get my mind off of things. Um, and a lot of times, Harold and I were just, we would just talk about faith, talk about Jesus. And it wasn't therapy sessions or anything like that. It was just someone to talk to. And I'll tell you, that meant the world to me because I was feeling like it, I, I didn't want to talk to my wife about what I was feeling and some of the things that I had done personally with my relationship with Jesus and and God, um, because I I didn't want her to get scared and be like, well, you know, he's ready to die and I'm just gonna, you know, shut down now. But the one thing that I I, I did do when I was in the hospital was I, I told God, if it's my time, I'm ready to go. I don't want to go. But if it is my time, I'm ready. <clears throat> and just coming to peace with, you know, because you don't know what's going to happen when, when you're diagnosed with cancer. Even even if you're diagnosed with stage one, it, there are so many things that can happen. And it can be over very quickly. And you have to come to terms with, with that. And you have to come to terms with, putting up the fight and fighting for your life and fighting for, for what you believe in. And whenever you get your, your spirituality correct with, uh, with, a you know, relationship with whatever God you, uh, uh, you pray to it's, um, it's humbling and your attitude changes. And for me, I was at peace. Um, when I got out of the hospital, uh, I was ready to go. Uh, I was only in there for four or five days. Uh, and I had a major surgery. Oh, uh, sure. they, they, removed a lot of my bowel, <laughs> colostomy bag. And, uh, I remember it was on a Thursday. I woke up, um, I sat in my chair, uh, the nurse came in and I said, what do I have to do to get out of here? And she said, you need to walk around the nurse's station a couple of times. And I got my butt up and I walked around the nurse station a couple of times, went back in my chair, sat down. The doctor came in. I'm going home today. <laughs> and yeah. he, goes, he goes, ain't that right? I said, yeah, I'm going home today, man. I need you to discharge me. <clears throat> uh, and they did. And um, it, it was the weirdest thing. It was, I, I don't remember anything up until that point that I wanted to go home. And it's like just something clicked in my brain that I prayed for so long. I prayed for days and just something clicked. And it was like, it's time to fight and go into battle. And that's what I did.
0: Yeah. And here we go. We're moving on, going back to that place of comfort, back to home and um, place to, to kind of heal up. Um, so, Harold, I, I kind of want to expand on, on something here. I know you mentioned and Jason, you mentioned this, too. Um, you, you said you went to Harold a lot, Jason, during your time of uh trying to cope with the cancer and just have someone to talk to and talk about your faith and Jesus and stuff. Harold, I'm wondering, I know that faith's been a big part of your recovery, obviously have, and I know you've been going straight to God, but have you talked, is there, has there been anyone there for you? Have, because I know you're, you're, you're a licensed counselor. Have you gone to anybody or has, you know, has there been someone that's been kind of that, that, uh, that lean shoulder that you can lean on? Oh, absolutely.
1: Counselors need counselors. And so, uh, um, my, uh, so let me review my recovery, uh, real quick, just in a nutshell. Um, I drank way too much and took drugs from the age 20 to the age of 40. And, uh, when I, when I turned 40, they, finally, I connected the dots and realized, hey, this is really a big problem, a big danger, and, uh, and uh, I, need to, I need to quit. I've got to quit. The uh, alcohol problems, basically, if you really analyze it scientifically, it's actually an allergy. We develop an allergy to alcohol, and we have a craving for alcohol at the same time. So we feel like we can't stop drinking, but we've got to stop drinking. It's a real double bind. I know Jason went through that. We all sometimes, uh, we all go through that. So at age 40, I decided to get some help and I went to uh, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. And what a great organization that is. It's a leaderless meeting. There's no doctor sitting there leading the meeting. It's uh, people helping each other. And my first sponsor said some things that were really, really valuable to me. Um, he said, Harold, uh, your drinking is a search for God at the wrong address. Wow. That really helped me. Yeah. And so, of course, uh, after a few days, my next question was, well, what is the right address? And basically, that is the Bible. The Bible is the living Word of God. If you pray and open the book, it comes alive for you, mm-hmm. and it did for me. And so we uh, we started reading the Bible, and uh, he was a uh, he was a devout believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus. And so uh, he and I talked about the Bible and talked about my beliefs and. I was pretty mixed up about God, and about, I believed that I believed that uh, God, there's God is there, It's kind of like cross the force, Luke. <laughs> uh, but I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure about the Bible. I wasn't sure about Jesus. I thought God was an intelligent force in the universe, but which He is, but He's a lot more than that. And so we dug into the Bible and started getting, it started coming clear to me. Um, my, I wasn't sure about believing in Jesus. And so my sponsor said, uh, he also said, uh, well, do you believe I believe? And I said, well, yeah, I can easily tell that you believe. He said, well, you can borrow my faith. I said, well, you can do that? Yeah. You can we can loan one another our faith, and so uh, based on that and reading the Bible, <clears throat> uh, I developed a relationship with Jesus. Christianity really isn't a religion; it's a relationship with Jesus Christ, and so that uh, my my uh, spiritual growth took off, and uh, recovery is really about. Spiritual growth step three is turning your life completely over to god step uh, 11 is praying and meditating to increase our conscious contact with god and uh, So the key to any uh, damaging habitual behavior no matter whether it's drinking or drugs or Or sexual acting out there's a lot of people that have sexual problems right now And it is an addiction and the the solution is a closer walk with God And a closer walk with other people Step nine is making amends to the people you've harmed And uh, uh, step ten is taking a daily inventory And really taking stock of yourself constantly To uh, promptly admit it when you're wrong So that our relationships with other people And our relationship with God Gets better and better and better and better That's what the 12-step program is about And lo and behold in 1935 When the 12 steps started uh, It was borrowed from the Bible Mainly Matthew chapter 5 and 6 Which is called the Sermon on the Mount The Beatitudes Uh, So no wonder it works so well It's borrowed from the Bible And uh, so that so my recovery is, is really falls into three big parts. Part one is completely stopping. That was very, very important for me to stop drinking completely and not think I could dabble around. There's a, There's a sentence in the in the big book of AA that says, "The thought that we can someday drink like normal people has to be eradicated." Mm-hmm. So we we have to stop. Drinking completely. That's very abstinence. is very important. That's part one of my recovery Part two is staying stopped, which is 20 times as hard as stopping In my experience. The reason it's so hard to stay stopped is because of my selfishness And my pride hmm. Those two things are uh, a big problem If I'm, if I'm prideful I'm all puffed up. You can't teach me anything. And if I'm selfish, I have no empathy. Well, the 12 steps, working the 12 steps from the book with pen and paper and somebody to guide me through, that is how I level my pride and I get some humility. I call it teachability. And I end my selfishness and I get some empathy back in my life. So humility and empathy are what the 12 steps are all about. So that's part two of of recovery. My recovery is uh, working the steps with somebody to guide me through. And uh, so that's part two. Part three though is by far the most important part. Mm -hmm. And that's where your podcast fits in here and a lot of other activities, that's where we reach back and we help someone newer in recovery work their steps. And that's when our steps click in, not until. that, And that is step 12, where we, we help someone newer work their steps. And that really cements everything. In my opinion, step 12 is 80% of the program. A lot of people tell me, well, I tried the steps, they don't really work. Uh uh-uh, uh, you didn't work step twelve. If you're helping other people, and it's a constant thing, my my sobriety date is December twenty eighth, nineteen eighty seven. That's almost thirty three years ago now. Coming up real soon. And so what you do is what I do in order to find new people to help, I continue going to meetings. And I've been going to meetings. Uh, well, I used to go, at first I went daily, every day, one or two meetings. I got a thousand meetings in the first three years. Wow. And uh, and so uh, we, uh, we go to meetings and uh, I still go weekly. When stress goes up during the pandemic, I've been going three times a week. It's been virtual, but there that's a fine way to do meetings. Vir- there's nothing wrong with virtual. And uh, so that's part three of recovery. We have a motto, we only get to keep what we give away. And I wanna keep this. My recovery means everything. My sobriety birthday is more Valuable to me than my belly button birthday, December twenty yeah. eighth, nineteen eighty seven. It's when I was born. My recovery was born. So, uh, so I'm constantly talking to people that uh, have more time in recovery than I do. People that have less time, and we work together. And uh, and I have a therapist also. So. Uh, Yes, a therapist needs a therapist, and it's very, very important not to isolate. The uh, for sure. I call it the enemy voice. When I'm in recovery, <clears throat> there's a part of me that wants to self-sabotage everything. I call it the enemy voice. Uh, some people call it Satan, but I don't care what you call it. But we have to deal with it, and the way to deal with our self-sabotage is to keep moving. Life is movement and we uh, avoid isolating, avoid secrecy. A family is only as sick as their secrets. So rigorous honesty, honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness are the three words that really describe recovery. Honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. We've got to talk and we've got to keep moving.
0: I love all that. I love all that. I'm, I'm so glad that you're that you're doing so well now and congratulations and happy early uh, <laughs> sobriety birthday coming up real soon for you on the 28th. Uh, just a less than two weeks for you. Um, but I guess my next uh, next kind of my next segue, I guess, I think is, do you think we can take this is kind of a two part question? Number one, do you think we can take the steps that you and Jason have used for your recovery um, um, from addiction and apply them to recovery from cancer? Maybe not all of them, but maybe do you think that that, and my second part of that question is, if we take some of those, do you guys think that your recovery from your addiction helped you deal with and you were better equipped to uh, get in that mindset to recover from cancer. I know that's kind of a loaded two-part question, but I'm curious. Go first, Harold, or do you want me to
1: go ahead, Jason? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so, I
2: <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, my answer is going to be different than Harold's because um, my cancer recovery was at the was right at the beginning of my recovery from addiction. Sure. Um, So Harold, Harold has, he, he's, he's, been around a while um he he's he's dealt with the addiction for many years um and i i only had three months under my belt when i found out i hadn't had cancer right um and i'll i'll, I'll bring up a, a, a an interesting story it's kind of kind of funny i got Harold in trouble one day at work uh, <laughs> i think he remembers this uh but when I, when I decided that I was done with, uh, drugs and alcohol, I, I kicked the drugs first. Um, uh, and then I was like, you know, I, like Carol was saying, you, you, you fall back into temptation and say, well, I can just have one or two here and there. Yeah. And, um, I convinced everybody that's, that's what I was going to do. And I can't have one or two. Um, so one night, um, it was, right after I quit drinking. Um, I uh, I was meeting with Harold one night. It was late at night. It was 10, 11 o'clock at night. And um, I asked him to come outside with me to my truck. Or my, I had a Tahoe at the time. And I just started pulling all the booze out of my truck. And Harold's like, man, you got a lot of booze in your car.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was like bottle after bottle and he, he didn't know what to do with it. So he put it in the fridge and his boss came in the next day and saw it. <laughs> 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 but, uh, so that, that, that's, that's the kind of funny story. But, um, uh, you know, from, from that point on, um, for me, it was, uh, you know, I had, I had dealt with my addiction. I dealt with um, what I thought was uh, a closer relationship with Jesus, Um, but it it really didn't cement with me until um, after I was discharged from the hospital. Um, And I really thought about, um, you know, what could have caused my cancer? Because I was 33 years old, had colon cancer, um, it's not rare, but it's not common uh, for right. somebody that age to have colon cancer. So after after doing some research and uh, just beat myself up over it, I was like, you know, I can almost guarantee my cancer was caused from the drugs and alcohol. Um, and it, it at, when I. When I learned to accept that, that uh, that really cemented it for me as to I'm never going to touch drugs and alcohol again because of what I went through with fighting the colon cancer. Um, That was that was harder than overcoming the addiction Um, because. When I put my mind to the addiction, I just, I, I just told myself, "I'm done. I'm, I'm not gonna, ha- I'm not gonna have it anymore." <laughs> um, that was e- that to me. That was easy, but the the chemotherapy, the side effects that I had from the chemotherapy, uh, were really a trooper, man, because I had some bad side effects from my chemotherapy, <laughs> and. Um, uh, that was the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life uh, was going through the chemotherapy. Uh, and I, I still, I still fight it on a day-to-day basis. Um, so, um, the side effects for me are, is, is severe neuropathy. And I just went to see my doctor last week and we talked about pain management for that. Um, but it, it's still, it, it's still a battle for me. And some days I, whine so bad, I can't walk. And I keep telling myself, you know, if maybe I wouldn't have gone down the path of drugs and alcohol, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in now. But then I also think about, well, if, I hadn't gone down the drugs and the alcohol, I wouldn't be in the position I am now where I've written a book. I've been able to share my experiences. I've been able to help mm. others. Um, I've been introduced to some great friends, um, Jackson, you, your dad, everyone else. And um, it, I think God has a plan for everybody. And if you turn your life over to God you're and you set your mind to do whatever you want to do, you can achieve it. Um, it takes prayer. It takes hard work. It takes determination. <clears throat> but if you set your mind to it and you turn it over to God, it's God's will. It will be done. Um, it may not be your plan but it's god's plan and whenever whenever you turn it over to god and you say god help me achieve this help me help it because i for me it was i want to help others and i started that really quickly um, in my recovery, um, cause I, I was right, right before the, the cancer diagnosis, we were taking a road trip and I told my wife we were sitting in the car driving and I was like, you know, <clears throat> I'm two months into sobriety. I said, what do you think, what do you think it would take for me to write a book about my experiences, do some public speaking, share my story and help others and she goes well uh it's god's will and whatever you set your mind to you can do and i thought about it for the next couple weeks until i went to the hospital and then kind of got put on the back burner but everything just fell into place after that i was released from the hospital i started chemotherapy I met an old friend who introduced me to your dad, yourself, and everybody else. And my dream became a reality just through a a a encounter with another old friend of mine that it, it was just, it, I don't, it was a divine intervention is what it was. It was... It, the stars lined up perfectly and everything just fell into place. I didn't go out seeking, hey, I'm going to go out and write a book now. It was, I'm going to have lunch with a friend and I want to tell him my story. And I, I wasn't even thinking about writing the book. I, he, he was a pastor and I was trying to get some advice from him. I told him my story and he goes, you know, you can write a book about this. And I go, you know, I had thought about it a long time ago, um, but I, I I just didn't know where to start. And he took me under his wing, and you know, here I am today. But my faith in God um, is what's what allowed me to accomplish what I have now. Mm-hmm. And I continue to have faith. There's some times where it gets hard, and there's some times where you know my wife and I don't agree on things. And it's it, um, it, it, it's hard to, to to sit there and think, you know, things could be a lot worse. I'm in a pretty good position, um, but if I were to continue down the road of drugs and alcohol, <clears throat> um, yeah, the, the one thing that still sticks in my head is how much booze I actually had in my truck that night that I gave it all to Harold. I was driving around with it. I was drinking and driving. I was blacking out while I was driving. There was no telling where I would be. I'd probably be dead right now. There, there were so many close encounters for me. Yeah. Um, I, I totaled a couple cars uh, because I was drunk. Um, and I, I don't know how I stayed out of jail, but I did. Um, I don't know how I didn't kill anybody but I didn't, but I'm here today and I'm here to tell my story. Um, I have, you know, just like Harold, now we have a unique story because we battled addiction. We've battled cancer. And to me, those are probably two of the hardest things that anybody can overcome. Um, addiction is a disease just like cancer is a disease. And, uh, it, it takes takes getting your mind right in order to fight both of those. And when I say get your mind right, it, it's 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 getting getting into a state of mind where you put your faith into God. And whenever you do that you turn it over to God, anything's possible.
1: And what I'm hearing is that uh, number one, you begin to open your mind to the idea that there is there is a higher intelligence uh, what we call in recovery a higher power a power greater than myself and then you you begin to form a relationship with it and you begin to uh like it says in step three turn your life over to god which means the timing and what i what i uh admire about your story jason is that you uh you have you have a your your life has a unique timing that you knew that god wanted you to uh, help people and that is that is a that is a uh, very important realization for each one of us to have jesus said that they will everyone will know that you're my followers by the way you love one another so that's what, I, that's what I hear you saying, is you're, you're focusing on helping other people, and that's the way you're expressing your love. The, the only reason we could do that is because God loves us first, and our love for others is a reflection of God's love for us. And then, so you, so you, you have that in your mind, okay, I wanna help others, I wanna write a book, maybe do a podcast that helps other people. And, and then the timing of that, that's the beautiful thing. You met the pastor and he said, you, hey, you can write a book. And, and that timing is how I recognize God's, uh, uh, God's work as uh, the, the, I recognize that it's God at work. When the timing falls into place, like you said, the stars were all aligned. Everything just fell right into place. That is God's timing. And that's that's one of God's signatures. So I'm always watching for that great timing. And it's a little reminder, hey, this is God at work. This is God at work. For sure. And then the opposite is true also. When we're trying to force things, that's, that's I call that the enemy voice, our self-sabotage. We want our timing. And that's more of that selfishness. And so we want our timing. We want to use our intellect instead of relying on the higher intellect. And uh, so we can we can grind and fight and go against the current. But when we finally wake up, we realize, okay, all right, let's, uh, yeah. let's try to do what God wants us to do here. So that's my prayer every morning. God, I want to be where you want me. I'm giving up my preconceived ideas and I want to be where you want me today.
2: Yeah, I've been, I'm i sorry, Jason, go ahead. Did we cut you off? Uh, uh, so, uh, the one thing that I do every morning uh, when I get out of bed um, is I, I put my two feet on the ground and I tell myself, I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to do drugs today. And I do that every single morning. Me too. Yeah. That's one thing that I think that that's that's kept me strong is uh, my first thought in the morning is about drugs and alcohol and how I don't want to do it and how I'm telling myself today's going to be another day that I can make it through without any drugs or alcohol.
1: And the reason, one of the reasons I do the same thing is because the drugs and alcohol interrupted my relationship with God. When I was close to God, I wasn't drinking. When I'm I'm drinking, I feel farther from God. And so my first thought is uh, thank you Jesus for waking me up today, giving me life today. My second thought is no matter what happens today, no matter what happens, absolutely no alcohol or drugs, nothing mind altering in my system today. And so that I start off with thanking God, great gratitude and total abstinence. And that's the way I start every morning. Still, after 33 years in uh, recovery, that's I just take it today, no matter what happens, no drinking, no drugs. I can do something for one day that I'd never be able to do long term. And that's how I've done. So I've, I've, uh, I've got to calculate it again. I think I've, I've passed 12,000 days now. Wow. Mm.
0: That's, yeah, that's, that's amazing. I think, well, all of that is amazingly well said. I think, you know, very powerful message that you guys both have there. And, and I really like and, and I can really appreciate how you guys say you know, just one day at a time. Every morning, it's like there's an old saying. I it, one of my favorite actors is Will Smith. Okay, I know this is kind of a weird segue, but Will Smith, I love his movies. Um, Even some of his music and some TV shows. Anyway, but he has a he, he went on a show, and he talked about he was like, you know, uh, you you can't build a wall in a day, right? You can't make a perfect wall, the 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 best wall that anybody's ever seen, in overnight. It's just not going to happen. But what you can do is each day you can say, I'm going to lay this brick as perfectly as I possibly can. No brick is going to be laid better than this brick. And you do that every day and eventually you have your wall. So little small bits, little increments, every little, every single day. Our, we had a guest, our last guest, Darren Sapp, he called that you know, little bites, little small bites. I just take, take it a little bit. I asked him, I said, how have you written eight books and continues to do all these different things? He's like, I just take it a little bit at a time little bits each day. And so I think that that, you know, that can apply to a lot of things and uh,
1: wise advice no matter what, for sure. For sure. That's great advice. Yeah. yeah. How do you eat an elephant?
2: Yeah,
1: I was One about to say
0: that. Bite. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One bite at a time. One bite at a time. But Harold, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I know we kind of went off on, on a little bit of a tangent and that's all right, but I'm, I know you have a little bit of a, a different story than than Jason, similar in some areas, but different in other ways. Do you think that your road of recovery, back to our original question, helped better equip you to deal with the realities of cancer and recovering from that?
1: Well, absolutely. The, uh, the main thing about recovery is that it's a closer walk with God. Right. And so whatever, whatever I'm working on in life, if I'm, if I'm closer to God... And I'm I'm uh, able to plug in. It's like plugging in a, a power tool. The power tool's great, uh, but if you plug it in, it's a hundred times as, as cool. And so uh, recovery helped me plug into God, and uh, and so uh, it's it's the total key to everything. My my recovery is really the key to what has uh uh helped me uh fight this uh fight with cancer yeah and i i do a lot of the same things applying to the cancer that i did uh and i continue to do in uh, applying to uh recovery I love that. I love that. Yeah, I,
0: I, as you guys were talking about recovery and um, stepping back to help somebody up, and you know, accepting and 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 moving on, and just taking it little bits at a time, I I, I just thought in my head, I was like, wow, I think that's, I think we could kind of compare and contrast that with cancer and and with uh, uh, recovery from addiction. Um, anyway, so my my next my next thing is I want to take us into the
1: next part of the conversation is well let me let me say one more thing please about, uh, please the similarity between recovery and uh, fighting cancer. Mm-hmm. And that is that uh, the the a lot of times uh, as I as I found out about this diagnosis, uh, there's a great temptation. And this goes all the way back to 1987, oh, when I found out that uh, really this, this, uh, my drinking, my drugs, it was an addiction. It's, it's hard to realize that. And I started feeling sorry for myself. Self-pity is one of the uh, major aspects of addiction and uh, fight that off is very, very important. Uh, God did not promise us an easy life. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Now I hadn't read the Bible, in 1987, so uh, I started to study, and I soon realized, yeah, God, God did not promise us an easy life. What He did promise is that He would be with us every step of the way in the hard times, and all all times. And so uh, that is uh, uh, that marked. That is how I. Uh, Dealt with the uh, self-pity Instead of feeling sorry for myself I said, okay, God's got a plan for my life It's his timing, not my selfish timing And so I need to tune in to what what does God want next? In recovery, we do a thing called Just do the next right thing Mm -hmm. Just do the next right thing And so that's how I overcame the self-pity I, I stopped feeling sorry for myself that, uh, oh my, oh my, poor me, poor me, poor me a drink. And uh, I realized there's a timing here. We're gonna have hard times. God is with us in the hard times, especially. And so I, w- I started looking for God's presence. Well, the same thing, I've used the same ideas uh, when I got the cancer diagnosis. No, I'm not being picked on by the universe. God's not punishing me for something. This is one of the hard times, and he's here with me throughout. And that's really characterized my recovery from cancer, is that this has been the richest spiritual time of my life. God is right with me because I'm asking. In Matthew 7, 7, uh, Jesus gave his uh, gave us all an an outline. Ask, seek, and knock, and then he repeats it. For everyone who asks is answered. Everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks the door is open. And then he gives a couple of illustrations. It's a remarkable part of Scripture. And later he said, "You have not because you ask not." So this. During these hard times, it is incumbent upon us to ask God for help. And that's part of the humility that comes from recovery. I humble myself. I ask for help. I realize, no, this isn't going to fit my timing. This is God's timing. I want to fit into God's timing. I want to be where God wants me. And so that that's the fit between them recovery from cancer and recovery from uh the uh uh, drugs and alcohol jason you all right there man
2: (laughs) yeah my light fell
0: (laughs) oh okay i I saw a flash and 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 i and i heard so i was was checking on you making sure you're all right We're, we're good we're good no worries um yeah harold i think that's um an amazingly strong message um, and I think one that's very important. I think so 2020, there's no doubt it's been a crazy year to say the least. Um, it's been full of its trials and tribulations and, uh, and sicknesses. Um, so I, uh, my next, my next question is those that have been dealing with the struggles of 2020, there's too many to name off um, uh, in this particular year. You know, you uh, know, cancer, addiction, uh, obviously COVID, Um, what are some ways, and I know that faith has been a big thing for you, uh, Harold, and uh, of course, a big thing for you, Jason, for the people who maybe don't have as close of a relationship with God, who haven't really, like you said, plugged in yet, what are some steps that they can do if maybe they're a little bit skeptical or unsure about how to approach um, uh, that part of their life, their spirit, spirituality, or even just how to, how to get help in general. You know, what, what, what are some ways that people can reach out and uh, and learn how to cope with the year that 2020 has been or cancer, or drug addiction, or any of it.
1: Jason, you want to, share your ideas first yeah I'll, I'll go first
2: uh, the the first thing that, that I would tell the listeners is is, uh, is go to our website Um, mm-hmm. um and the, our phone number listed on there reach out to us uh, and we can plug you in with um, with, with some help um, as far as the the spiritual, closeness that that somebody is longing for right Uh, i don't have a solution for it because what it took for me was a true spiritual awakening and that was a near-death experience and the near-death experience was um you know i talked about on the way to the hospital i'm blacking out Mm -hmm. um uh, my, my bowels, I, I was so backed up that, um, if I had waited any longer, um, then my bowels would have exploded and I would have died. When I say exploded. They, they, I would have had sepsis. They would have gotten all of my bloodstream. Yeah. I, I, it, I was close to not making it out. And <clears throat> when I realized that, and when I woke up. After those several days of, I, I, I don't know what they had me on uh, pain medicine wise or sleeping. I, I don't remember Jack. I remember the only thing I do remember is I had my very, very close friend, Chris. He came up to the hospital every night to stay with me. And I remember one night um, I, I had to use the restroom and I, I hadn't gone for a couple of days. Um, and I remember getting out of bed and my hospital gown was not fully on mm. and um uh, chris goes uh he goes uh, jason your ass is hanging out <laughs> and i turned around and i said yeah like you've never seen it before so <laughs> 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 um yeah so i i've known chris since i was three years old so he's yeah he yeah it, it's one of those relationships but um you know I, other than that, it, it it was it was having that near death experience to to make me uh, make me want to have a closer relationship with Jesus, um, and it, so I, I don't know how to explain that to, to anybody that's that's trying to build a relationship with God um, because I, before that I read the Bible. Um, I was, I was, a, I thought I was a very spiritual person. Um, you know, I, I, I applied my spirituality and my my twelve steps, um, but I did not have that. Um, I didn't have that feeling inside that God was with me. It was still almost like I was battling against God. Um, even the first couple of months, it was. Um, you know, there were thoughts all the time about, you know, going out and having a drink or, um, can I really do this? And it was me doubting myself because I didn't have that closeness with God. (laughs) The near death experience was my spiritual awakening. And now everything that I do, I feel God's presence when i was doing the chemotherapy um, i would listen to my heavy metal and my god's back and disturbed on the way to the to the uh, the oncology center and the hospital doing my chemotherapy and uh when i was there i was i was constantly listening to music and i was getting my mind off of things um, but when they started to inject me with the chemotherapy drug I would always put on Christian music because it was a little bit more uplifting for me. Mm. And it reminded me that God was sitting right there next to me. Um, And like Carol said, it it, it wasn't, it wasn't a woe me. It wasn't, oh, I pity me. It it was none of that. It was, you know, uh, you know, it hit the fan and I got to deal with it. And turn it over to God and ask God to, you know, forgive me for all my sins, but stay close with me, Uh, be there with me. And I find myself now having a conversation with God in my head. Um, Some people might say that's a sign of schizophrenia, but it's not. I'm not schizophrenic, but I'm, I'm talking to God and... I never did that before, and I don't, I I don't hear back, but I feel I have thoughts of Mm. what God would want me to do, so uh, a big part of that is meditation, Um, I meditate every day, Um, I meditate at all times of the day, or just randomly, Um, I'll find myself just like dozing, not dozing off, but like in a daze, just talking to myself, but I'm talking to God. And um, the thoughts that come back after I have a conversation with Him, um, and the thoughts that are coming to me is my way of interpreting that God is with me and He's telling me what to do. And nowhere in the last two and a half, three years. I'm coming up on my three-year sobriety now. Um, at no time during the, during that time period has, has a thought of, you can have just one drink. Those thoughts are gone. The dreams aren't gone, but the thoughts are gone. I still have dreams where I'm drinking and drugging. Me and too. I, that's where... Yeah. That's where I, every morning when I get up and I, I have those rooms quite often, Um, but I put my feet on the ground. I'm not going to have any drugs or alcohol today. And then throughout the day um, when even if I'm stressed, um, I've never had the thought of, you know, I, am so stressed out right now. I'm just going to go have one drink and it'll be okay. I don't have those thoughts. And that's my relationship with God now, um, because I have turned everything over to God, and the the thoughts that I had before were, "Hey, you can drink." That's Satan talking to me. That's Satan tempting me. And I have such a close relationship with God now that Satan's not in my head. I think there's times where there's external factors that cause temptation, um, like being around somebody that's drinking, uh, it can cause temptation, but it, it doesn't cause temptation to me because I, it, my, my wife is a social drinker. She doesn't drink all the time. She drinks maybe once or twice a month. And, um, she'll ask me to pick up a bottle of wine for her. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't drink anymore. I don't even remember what the wine tastes like. So you're going to have to deal with what I get you. <laughs> um, And when I do go and get that for her, uh, I do not go into a liquor store. And I I will not go into a liquor store by myself. I have to have somebody with me because I don't be tempted. That's the real factor. And that's Satan. The the liquor store is Satan. And I don't want to be by myself. Um, And it's not that I don't trust myself. It's satan's powerful and satan can make you do things that you don't want to do or that you would normally wouldn't want to wouldn't want to do and the outcome can be detrimental and i don't i'm not willing to risk you know three years of sobriety for my wife who wants a bottle of wine for me to go into a liquor store and you know, maybe I can buy a bottle of vodka and uh, have just one drink. I I, I don't do that. I, it's somebody's with me, and uh, I, I take care of business. Uh, I my relationship with God is so strong now that I know the external factors. And I try to eliminate, or not eliminate, but I try to put myself in a situation where I'm not going to get tempted. Um, I don't know about you, Harold. I don't know if your your wife is a social drinker or not, uh, but we we have booze in the house. I've got so much freaking wine in there, but I'm not tempted to drink it. Um, there's a I have a I have a bar that's got liquor in it. I, I'm not tempted. It, it's right there in front of me. Um, just the smell of it makes me nauseous and I hope I never lose that because that would be Satan coming back into my life and saying yes you can just have one drink
1: so well uh, let me comment on that Um, I agree 100% Uh, I I don't go into high risk neighborhoods by myself I take somebody with me or I don't go. And that includes, uh, you know, the uh, the alcohol aisle. See, it is not a sin to be tempted. It's only a sin when we cave in to the temptation, when we give in. So even Jesus was tempted, but he never caved in. He didn't give in. And what did he do instead? He would, Satan would tempt him by misquoting scripture and Jesus would quote the correct scripture. So we wanna, we're like sailors on the open sea and the way a sailor navigates on the open sea is by using the stars. They are fixed points of reference that are always the same, always the same. And uh, we, we can do the same thing in our recovery. If we use the Bible as our fixed point of reference And that means that we need to read it And be very, very familiar with it So when the enemy tempted Jesus He would quote the correct scripture back And answer back with scripture And so that's my fixed point of reference um, I talk to God a lot, I pray a lot And I measure what I think I'm hearing from God against the scripture. And if it doesn't line up perfectly, then something's off. Uh, so we have, to, we have to be able to navigate these high seas and we have to have a, uh, a point, a set of points against which we can measure everything we're hearing. And that way, that is how I recognize temptation from the enemy as opposed to guidance from the Holy Spirit. We compare it to scripture and see if it measures up. Uh, The enemy is going to try to tempt us to, to mess up, to be selfish, to have a lack of empathy and to be prideful and try to lean on our own intellect instead of leaning on the intelligence of God. Instead of taking that power tool and plugging it in, the enemy wants to try wants us to, to force it and uh, and try to use it without plugging it in at all. And uh, so after a while, you get pretty good at recognizing. Oh, that's that's the enemy voice. That's so I name it. I say that's the enemy voice. You know, the uh, a couple summers ago it was really hot. I was in Kroger's and I avoid the alcohol aisle. No reason to go down there. And by the way, I have no alcohol in my home. It's an alcohol free zone. Um, my wife, if she wants to have a margarita with her friends, which she does once a year, uh, she goes down to Galveston and does it there as a favor to me so that I don't have to smell that smell. Um, it does make me nauseous also, Jason. Um, and uh, so the the uh, there's no alcohol here in the house. And I avoid the alcohol aisle at Kroger's. Well, this particular summer day, they had built an end cap of Bush beer. Fantastic price. <laughs> and right away, the enemy voice said, wow, look at that price on that beer. You've got to get a six pack of that. And I recognizing it's the enemy voice. I say, no, it's a little embarrassing in Kroger's to be talking out loud to someone they can't see. But I say, no, I don't buy beer. And the enemy said, well, come on, look at this price. How do you pass that up? No, and well, and I don't buy beer, I don't drink. And the enemy said, well, you can have you could get a six pack for dan he doesn't have a problem and he comes over look at that price and he goes on and on and i'm constantly no 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 i talk back to the enemy i talk back to the enemy that's my motto i talk back to the enemy Mm -hmm. and uh, so that's how i make it if i'm if i'm going to a wedding or uh, some event where there's gonna be heavy drinking, I don't go alone. I take someone with me who can uh, just be that stable anchor for recovery in my life. I don't go into the bad neighborhoods. I don't go to parties where there's lots of drinking and uh, and all that. So, uh, and it's, it's worked for me for almost 33 years. And, uh, um, and I'm just going to keep taking it one day at a time. Just do the next right thing. Mm
2: -hmm. There's one thing that I do and it's, it's probably, you're not going to like this, Harold, but, (laughs) um, when I, when I do, um, have, like people over and because i I do a lot of entertaining here at the house Um, so i I, i'll pour everybody a glass of wine and just so that way i don't have to bring up the conversation with other people about why i'm not drinking um i'll get a wine glass um, and i'll buy grape juice and i'll pour grape juice in the wine glass
1: oh i'm for that
2: that's great yeah Yeah. So, uh, that kind of, that kind of avoids the, uh, the awkward conversation that I have to have with people about why I'm not drinking. Um, I don't go into bars. Um, I haven't been into a bar in I don't know how long. Um, uh, I, I think during my sobriety, I've maybe stepped foot in a one, two, three of them. And that's to watch a sports game. Um, when sometimes when I do go out to lunch, I will sit at the bar if they have TVs up, and I'm only sitting at the bar because of the TVs. Um, I'm not tempted to drink. I don't ask for uh, a, a, a wine glass with grape juice in it. I, I don't do any of that when I'm out in public. Uh, it, it's, it's, if I'm sitting at the bar, it's to watch something that I want to watch on TV. Um, but the, the temptation for me is there, there's really no, no temptation that I've really experienced um, because anytime that I've gotten close to alcohol, uh, it just the smell of it makes me nauseous and I don't want to be around it. <clears throat> uh, I, I don't use cough syrup. Uh, I don't use mouthwash with alcohol in it uh, because I don't like the way it tastes. <clears throat> um, there was a drug that. Uh, I was on for a while. Um, antabuse. Ant ant, what's the name of it? It's uh, the it's a pill that you take out daily, and yeah. if you have any alcohol, it makes you violently ill. Yeah, antabuse. Mm-hmm. Antabuse. And I did that a long time ago, and I learned my lesson with uh with certain products uh, because my I didn't know my hair gel has alcohol in it. So I, I had just started the, the medication. I just got out of rehab and they had me on the abuse. and, um, I was getting ready for work and I put, uh, my hair gel in my hair, not realizing that there was alcohol in it. And I didn't make it out the door and I was vomiting my brains out. And that's just from hair gel. And, wow. Yeah. um, so my last alcohol experience um i drink so much um i know i had alcohol poisoning but that time whatever whatever i did that night um something just clicked and i can't be around alcohol anymore so that's that's my saving grace is I can't stand the smell of it. If I can't stand, stand the smell of it, I know I'm not going to drink it uh, because all it's going to do is make me sick. I don't take interviews. I don't do any of that. I just know what I can and can't have. And I know what tempts me. And I don't put myself in those positions.
0: Very good. Very good. Wow. Yeah. I, 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 uh, that's crazy to hear about abuse uh, and hair gel. Uh, that would yeah. the, the contact with that that's absolutely crazy but guys as we're uh, approaching uh, t- towards the end of the show here I know we're getting uh, we're really close to the holidays okay and uh, what is there any uh, final notes final uh, bits of advice that you guys would like to give out to our listeners before we uh, head into the into the holiday season
1: well I would like to talk a little bit about the anxiety that people are having around The uh, pandemic and all the isolation and uh, quarantine exhaustion that they're having. I work with a lot of young people and a lot of people are having a terrible, terrible time with their anxiety. Yes. And um, there's actually quite a simple solution to it. I've been uh, following the research at Ohio State University in the respiratory therapy lab there, and also following Stanford University Brain Lab, the Huberman Clinic at Stanford, and they're doing brain research. And it's also, uh, they're, they're studying how our breathing affects the brain and the lungs and how all that fits together. Yeah. And uh, also the uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman You can look him up on YouTube He's got some fantastic uh, podcasts About breathing and brain health And our uh, recovery from from this virus Um, So basically And the way that Dr. Andrew Huberman Has uh, uh, put together his research He's been using retired Navy SEALs to study breathing and anxiety because the Navy SEALs have learned, have had to learn to control their breathing very carefully to reduce their anxiety so that they can stay alive in combat. So Dr. Huberman has uh, uh, taken the time to research all that and exactly how it's working. Yeah, And he's he's released some results that are very, very helpful to us Basically what he's saying is that the, 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 the mind body, he doesn't even call it the brain anymore. He calls it the nervous system. Okay. So the nervous system com- is comprised of the brain, the spinal cord and all the nerve fibers that go out to the tips of your fingers, the tips of your toes. Your nervous system is actually shaped like the human body all the nerves and all the cells billions of cells that interact with each other mm-hmm. so that it is a it is the brain body it's one thing it's the nervous system and and what they've been studying is how important carbon dioxide is so let me let me jump to the bottom line here what the navy seals have taught dr huberman and the people at ohio state is that you can reduce your anxiety by reducing your carbon dioxide in your blood but the way to reduce the carbon dioxide is not what we would think it's not taking these big breaths because all you have up here are the are the uh uh the tubes The bronchial tubes, the alveoli which really absorb the oxygen and get rid of the carbon dioxide They are in the lungs from here down And so what the Navy SEALs are teaching is called abdominal breathing Or diaphragmatic breathing Where you pretend there's a balloon in your stomach And when you inhale, the balloon inflates your tummy goes up when you inhale. When you exhale, the balloon deflates and your tummy goes back down. That's the opposite of what most people expect to be doing. And so the Navy SEALs recommend a three-second inhale into the tummy, stick your belly out, three-second inhale, and a slow, smooth, seven-second exhale. That's how you get rid of the carbon dioxide and that's how you get rid of the anxiety So I've been practicing this for months It takes practice And I've been uh, like for example every night I put myself to sleep by doing a series of these three second inhales Seven second exhales Three second inhale 7 second exhale It's sticking out my tummy the whole time They're not big breaths, they're deep breaths Deep down into the belly Let me tell you It's guaranteed to reduce your anxiety And once your anxiety goes down You can really function at a whole new level in life So uh, it takes practice I recommend practicing every morning and falling asleep that way every night, doing the belly breathing, three seconds in, seven seconds out. The key to this whole thing is the slow, smooth exhale. Slow, smooth exhale. So when when you're
0: doing that, is there a certain recommendation for how many times you should do that before falling asleep or is it do it until you? Yeah, you You can do it for hours or
1: okay. You can do it for hours. It's, uh, it really doesn't matter if you go to sleep because laying there and increasing your oxygen and reducing your carbon dioxide is so invigorating for you that two hours of that breathing is like four hours of sleep. Well, so if you if you're having trouble sleeping, it doesn't matter as long as you're doing the breathing. So you lay down, you do the breathing and you forget about everything else.
0: Wow. That's, that's, that's a uh, pretty cool, pretty cool findings um, out of Ohio state and Stanford and working with the Navy seals. I think that I, and like you said before, Harold, I think it's super important, especially as we're, you know, we're coming down to the holidays and getting into the, you know, the winter months and, and all of that and start to get a bit colder outside. Um, uh, deal help finding ways to help cope with um, the stress of the year the stress of the holiday season, trying to be safe and at the same time still want to see your family members and, and, and dealing with all of that. Um, I think any yeah. tips that we can have with, you know, help try and bring down some anxiety are good ones.
1: Well, by the way, uh, a week ago, my doctor had a serious talk with me and said, this pandemic is not a joke. He said last week we lost two of our cancer patients to the COVID virus. Yeah. So this is not a joke. And he said, "No gathering at Christmas." Yeah. Of course, he's talking to me. My immune system is compromised, and I'm at I'm at high risk. But he's saying in general terms, "Do not gather." It's gatherings that are causing the increased hospitalizations he works in the hospital of course absolutely so he has a front row seat and he's seeing a lot more hospitalizations a lot more deaths from COVID, and he doesn't want to save me from cancer and end up losing me to COVID. so he had a very serious talk and he said look this is no joke this is serious business do not gather at christmas so I just pass that along to you. It comes right from the horse's mouth. I'm also working, some of my clients are nurses mm. on the COVID floor. One of my clients is the head nurse on the COVID floor. She said in March and April, she was wheeling nine cadavers down to the morgue every day. Very stressful job. Yeah. And uh, I saw her a month ago and she said, it's starting to increase again. We hope there's not gonna be a a wave like it was in March and April, but uh, this is not a joke. This is the real deal, and I've I've got doctors who are clients. I've got nurses who are clients, and so this isn't a made-up thing. This is this is the real deal. So, you folks, take it seriously, and give up your Christmas gatherings. That's. That's the advice from the medical community and not a bunch of politicians. This is the medical community. You know, they're not paid to say anything like that. He's, he's a, he's a very caring man, Dr. Rios. Yeah. He sounds like it
0: as well. And, um, absolutely. Yeah. You know, gotta do your best to, uh, not only to keep yourself safe, keep your family safe and you don't want to accidentally, um, in fact, anybody that you might come to, come into contact with, it's it's very very serious. Yeah. So some um,
1: people are infectious, but they don't have any symptoms, so you right, can't, you can't even go by the symptoms. Hey, I remembered something that I almost forgot to mention about the breathing. Please, it's all through the nose. Ohio State has done some great research on the nasal cavity and how important it is to our breathing and our health. Okay, so they're saying no more mouth breathing. Mouth breathing is not good for you. Breathe all through the nose. Even when you're exercising heavily, keep your mouth closed, breathe through your nose. So let me share with you a little funny thing that I do. Uh, A few months ago, I discovered I've been a mouth breather my whole life. So I'm also changing that. And one of the best ways to do that, I got this from Dr. Huberman. He takes a little piece of tape, a little square of tape, and puts it on his lips right there at, at night to hold his mouth closed. And it's it's just training yourself to do nose breathing all night instead of mouth breathing. Now, when I started nose breathing the first night, I felt a little panicky. I felt, oh, I can't do this. I can't, I'm not getting enough air. I can't do this. Well, that was the enemy voice. You can teach yourself to nose breathe all night. It's the way God designed the body. It's good for you to nose breathe. And uh, we've been mouth breathing, but we can learn to breathe through the nose. So I put a little piece of tape there, and I'm teaching myself nose breathing at night.
0: Have you noticed any differences as you've started doing just the nose breathing?
1: Yes, my rest is a lot deeper. Okay. I'm getting deeper sleep. I keep a tracker on my sleep. I've got a little tracker. Yeah. And uh, there have been some nights when I've gotten four hours of deep sleep. Wow. Which is the unheard of. Two hours used to be my, my record used to be two hours. With the nose breathing, I've, I've put it up to four hours at, at times. Wow. At times. Yeah,
0: yeah, and then that deep sleep, that REM sleep—that's what's super, super important. So, yeah, it is important to our mental health and our physical health too. Absolutely, absolutely. I love all the breathing and um, any and any tips that we can give to anybody for the holiday season, sure. and of course, stay safe out there. Jason, do you have anything further you would like to, to touch on? I do. The
2: holiday season is a very stressful time. Yeah. has coming from somebody that <laughs> has a very uh um, high dysfunctional family i don't want to go into too much detail on it but uh um, yeah it, it <clears throat> i've learned that um i i would say i harold i'm i'm, I'm heeding your precautions about uh um, you know not having gatherings and things, but uh, there's uh, there's a couple couple family members that uh, have have isolated, and they're they're going to come over for Christmas. Um, you know, the one thing that I've learned is is I'm still immunocompromised as well because because uh, my chemotherapy that I did, um, but I can't uh, I can't live in fear, and I know the vaccines have rolled out and the end is right there um but you know I, i've got two small kids that um, my opinion is it would be more detrimental to their mental health well-being by not having a few family members over and Because that's the tradition every year is is our family gets together Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Um, Well, Christmas Eve, I don't think we're going to have anybody over at Christmas morning. We're going to have some family over. We're going to have lunch. And then everybody will go on their way. But, um, you know, for those that can't have family over, uh, I was just reviewing uh, uh, on the CDC, I think, Jackson, that you sent me. Yes, um, and it says, uh, during, during late June, 40% of us adults reported struggling with mental health or substance abuse. Uh, I've heard that number is even higher now. Um, I think it's one in two, um, adults are suffering from a substance abuse or mental health issue. And that's because of the coronavirus, the COVID 19, um, before the pandemic. Um, Harold, you might have to help me out. I think it was one in four people, adults suffered with a mental health or substance abuse problem. And now it's one in two. Right. So yeah, the, the stats the stats are staggering. And I can only imagine, you know, somebody that can't have family over, that they, they don't have a relationship with God and they're by themselves on Christmas Eve, Christmas day. And, you know, I, I, I can only imagine what's going through their minds that they're all alone and they don't have anybody to associate with or pick up the fo- pick up the phone and call someone. But it, it's, it's a very lonely time. It's a very yeah. lonely time period when you're, when you you're, it's in the holiday season and you're by yourself. Um, I, that's a, that's a struggle by itself. So I urge anybody that's, that's in that position, um, the, the, the phone number on our website, the uh call that number on the website and one of us on the board will talk to you, whether it's me, Jackson, uh, Chelsea, Evan, um, and I'm sure Harold would even be able to talk to somebody too if they, they needed it uh, but we're all here for for anybody that needs help. Uh, that's what we're here for. Um, if, if you're if you're thinking about suicide, if you're thinking about um, you know having having a drink or uh, doing some drugs that you're in sobriety or new in sobriety, pick up the phone and call us and we'll talk to you. Um, phones are always on. My cell phone's always on. Anybody can reach out. Uh, I just urge anybody that's in that position to reach
1: out. And let me, let me add a little, uh, uh power boost here. I'm going to send you guys a document called the safety plan. And if, if somebody's very lonely, depressed, they're thinking about suicide, Filling out the safety plan and keeping it with you, and uh, using the phone numbers on there is an excellent an excellent thing you can do for yourself uh, during a time like this. So uh, I will, uh, Jason. I'll send you the safety plan. You can put it up on your website, and people can look at it, download it, fill it out. Uh, you take a pen, fill it all out. And then fold it up, put it in your wallet, keep it with you at all times. So, you know, you know, you have a safety plan and that's the best way to prevent suicide is a safety plan. Absolutely. And we'll, yes. uh, we'll, we'll put that on the
0: website and then I'll also put that in the description for, for the YouTube video and as well in the description for uh, uh, you guys listen to this out on podcast. It'll be in the description and the um,
2: for the about for, the, for for the podcast as well very good sounds good Harold thank you for coming on uh, I know you're going through some tough times right now and I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and sharing how you're doing and uh, it's good to see you
1: <laughs> it's an energy boost for me so yeah. I appreciate the opportunity
2: yeah uh, let's let's put on having you on again after uh, after you get done with your chemo and uh, okay. Talk about- how the rest of it went.
1: Yes, one of the things that I look forward to is that my kids, I've got four kids, three boys and a girl, and uh, we've all put together a plan to have a trip down the Colorado River at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, uh, a three-day uh, river trip uh, when I'm all finished with chemo and I'm back in, uh, in good shape. So that'll be next uh, August, 2021. Very cool. Sounds
0: fun. Yeah, that actually sounds a lot of fun. I'm actually really jealous. That, That sounds like that would be an amazing trip. Yeah, Harold, thank you for coming back on. We appreciate you. Sharing your story and glad to see that you look so well. I mean, you pull off the beret better than anybody that I've ever seen. To be honest with you, I wish I could do it and pull pull off the hat, man. It looks really good. Um, Jason, of course, thank you as always coming and hanging out with us on the show. It's always a good time. But guys, I think that's going to well. And oh, sorry, I almost forgot ahead. to share my uh, my new hat. Oh yeah, Hair today, gone tomorrow. <laughs> very, nice. <laughs> very right. nice very nice very you, nice you, you look you look good Harold you look good man all right yeah you can pull it off I don't think I could I really don't <laughs> but I, th- I think i think it suits you well looks good man but guys all I th- right you're wearing it in style you're wearing it in style exactly i think that's going to do it from us here uh, on the show guys thank y'all so much remember we will put that safety plan in the description uh down below both on the podcast and the youtube channel it's also going to go on the website www.spiralingministries.org do yourself a favor check out the website. It's got a lot of useful information on it. If you want to hear more about Jason's story, Jason's book is also available on the website. It's a good read, a perfect holiday gift for this time of year. Um, Help, you know, anybody that's going through a tough time and might be able to be useful, help yourself too. But um, anyway, I think that's going to do it from all of us. Hope you guys all have a wonderful, happy holidays, and we will see you on the next one. Goodbye.